Welcome to the HR Lounge. Sit back and listen in as Diane and I interview HR professionals from all walks in life. We'll be exploring all things HR related. You know the ones, those deep and sometimes uncomfortable conversations that should take place, but unfortunately never really happen. Enjoy your time with us in the HR Lounge. Welcome to the HR Lounge. Today's guest is Siobhan Courier, who is the head of DNI at Versus Arthritis. Welcome, Siobhan. Thanks very much for having me, both. Uh, absolute pleasure. Um, I really wanted to kick off by talking about how we knew each other. So, um, for my reckoning, it, obviously it was the connection with LinkedIn. What I felt was we commented on the same types of things and we seem to have the same type of views and I think that's really what brought us together. Yeah. Obviously I had done the FST Pay Gap campaign and you were quite a supporter of that which was fantastic. You were actually one of the, the, the key people who first bought a campaign t-shirt which was great and you invited me to come and speak at your then organisation Action for Children. So does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, you know, the benefits of social media, meeting people that are, that are similar to you and, and, yeah. and sharing that work, yeah, definitely a, a benefit of LinkedIn there. Yeah, I think so. And then Jacqueline, what, what would you say was your first? Oh, I think the first time that I met uh, Siobhan, I knew all about you Siobhan but when I met you physically was at Diane's Rise conference yeah and what a great conference absolutely and that's where everything really sort of like snowballed took off and took flight so yeah 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 brilliant yeah and I uh, think things just grew from there and obviously I'm, I'm not quite sure how many years we've known each other but quite a few years I think it's quite a few probably more than we actually realized <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely because you know there's always a communication as I said it's you know we like the same things in terms of you know uh, fairness in in the workplace and obviously in the community is I think our driving force I want to start off really by asking the question about mm. your career journey. Can you give us a little bit about your career? Yeah. Um, OK, so I'll try and go through my journey without making me sound like I'm about 100 um, in age. <laughs> um, but I, I always wanted to join the police. Um, so when I was 16, I went on work experience for a week um, with the police in, in Cardiff, where I, I grew up. And um, I actually was in a, a car with a police officer who made a, a racist remark about a taxi driver. Um, and I knew there and then that I would not be joining the police um, in any way, shape or form, which was which was sad, really, because I thought I would be good at it. Um, I was really interested in, in crime and um, all that sort of stuff. So um, I realised I wouldn't be joining the police, but I still had an interest in criminal justice. So after my A-levels, I went to do a degree in criminal justice and policing. Um, and then I kind of thought, actually, I want to work with young people who have been um, involved in the criminal justice system. So when I finished uni, I did quite a lot of volunteering. So I was an appropriate adult for children who had been arrested. So I would support them in the cell and during the interview until they were released. And I was a befriender for um, a child that was in, in um, looked after care. Um, and I was also a volunteer panel member for youth offender panels so that was about bringing together young people um, and vic their victims of crime so a restorative approach trying to keep young people out of the criminal justice system as much as possible 
and I worked my way through the volunteering to become a youth justice officer. Um, so I worked then with children pre-trial, so before they went to trial, and then after I had my first child, I worked then with children once they've been sentenced, so working with young people on inter different interventions to try and reduce the risk of reoffending, but also, you know, put the support that they need in their lives. Then I became a social worker, worked with looked after children, and I did that for a couple of years, and then I stood for election in 2012, so I was a local councillor in Cardiff. And during that time, I was chair of the Children's Scrutiny Committee. Yeah. And for a while, I was the cabinet member for Children's Services. And I should have done five-year term, but I actually ended up doing two and a half years. And then I applied for the job at Action for Children as head of inclusion. So that was around diversity and inclusion and trying to give young people a voice within the organisation. So I worked for Action for Children for nearly six years as head of inclusion. And that was um, a focus on diversity and inclusion and giving young people a voice within the organisation. And then more recently, at the beginning of 2021, I moved to Versus Arthritis as head of diversity and inclusion. So concentrating on diversity and inclusion within the organisational development directorate. And, and I guess that's that's my journey as to, to how I got into to DNI, really. Wow. wow. What a journey. What a journey, indeed. <laughs> we, indeed. Right. So, no, that was fantastic. How did you get into the 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 DNI space? You know where where we are now in terms of how does it interlink with what you've been doing before to where you are now and where you're going to move forward? Yeah. So my experience in politics really got me interested in diversity and inclusion. So I didn't fit the stereotype of a local councillor in Wales. For a start, I was a woman and I was um, at the time a lot younger than, than a lot of the, the people that were, that were elected. So I really experienced what it was like to, to not fit that stereotype and, and being one of the only women with children as well. You know, meetings that would overrun, behaviours in meetings that I hadn't experienced before. It really got me interested in diversity and inclusion. And, and one of the key things I think for me was meetings overrunning so I would always have to leave a meeting at five o'clock to go and pick up the kids but the meetings would overrun because most of the people or the rest of the people within um, the cabinet at the time they didn't have to leave for, for any commitments um, and even though I raised it as kind of active exclusion of me and that I had a voice and that it was actually worth listening to because I was the only woman with children in that small group I just got really interested then in terms of you know what does it like be in a workplace or you know in a structure and you don't feel included and I think that's one of the things that I use in terms of trying to explain what inclusion in the workplace is is about think of a time when you felt excluded it doesn't really matter who was the person who made you feel like it, it doesn't really matter what they said what process it was what procedure but it's how it made you feel um, and that's how I try and get that human connection with with inclusion in the workplace. And, and I'll, I'll just add to that, that, you know, if, in, if anybody knows a bit about um, um, employment law, it is, it states about how it makes you feel. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you feel that um, you're treated in a, a disrespectful way, then you have a right to take it up with somebody and get it dealt with. Yeah. And, you know, when you ask that question of people, it's like it's a light bulb moment. They're like, ah, oh, that's what inclusion is. Mm. And then they can, like that, they can think of, 
think of an example mm. um, and share that example as well. And I always find that's the kind of light bulb moment that, that people realise exactly what inc why inclusion is important mm. within the workplace. Exactly. Um, some people believe that DNI has no place within HR. My personal opinion is I think it really has. Yeah. What do you say about that? Um, I'm certainly not against it. <laughs> um, you know, in my previous role, I was in, I think, six different directorates, so bounced all over the place. Mm. Um, and that was because I think leadership didn't know where it should sit. So actually, for me, I think to myself, the most important thing is that leaders understand the vision that they want for DNI. And, you know, where is the best directorate within an organization for, make, for that to happen? If you're looking at improving a culture within an organization, absolutely HR is the place where the people policies, procedures, the culture work, the well-being, all of that, it, it, that's where it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know that there's an argument, DNI should sit within um, the chief executive's role for, uh, department, for example, or maybe strategy and performance. But for me, it's about the leadership and the vision and what the organization wants to achieve. Mm. And if it means for one year, say for example, DNI is in HR and it does all the foundation work and then it moves on for embed, you know, I, I think it, it's about the vision. It's not really about the, the directorate, but I do totally support the fact that HR will be doing a lot of that people and culture work. Yeah. Um, and there's no getting away from that. Yeah, it, th there shouldn't be a separation. Jackie, what's your, what's your perspective on that one? Yeah, I, I think I think um, I I totally agree because DNI needs to sit within HR. That's where all the policies procedures are. That's where all the work is done. And and before it became HR, it was personnel. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Exactly. people. Yeah. So yeah, um, and then talking about people, you know, Siobhan, what what's been the most challenging time during your career that that sticks out when anyone asks you? Um, definitely experiencing bullying. Um, and I think mm -hmm. my experience of, of, of being bullied helps me to understand better other people's experiences. So, you know, I haven't experienced exactly what other people have experienced and they have never experienced mm -hmm. what I've experienced. But I think through my work, working with children and families, I have a certain amount of empathy that I can take with me to other jobs but the most the most challenging is being is being bullied myself um mm. and you know what as well you can always see the signs when you're going to be bullied again yeah. so yeah. so even though it's a at the, at the time it's a terrible terrible experience but also it's kind of helpful for you because you mm -hmm. can immediately spot the signs and you can spot the signs for other people as well so you can use your experience to to support people some of the other challenging stuff was really going back to working with children and families, just the injustice and the unfairness mm. and, the, and the lives that people lead, you know, not because of their own choice, but because of the structures around them. And that's always been really challenging. But I think it does, you know, it does help me bring that empathy to, to the role that, that I do now. Mm. Oh, brilliant. And it drives your passion as well. Yeah. Definitely. Obviously, your book on bullying in terms of your experiences. Yeah, um, Journey to Empowerment, Tackling the Bullies Within. And it really does, it, it goes to the heart of what you say, Siobhan, about your lived experience. Other people are doing it. And, and I suppose that actually put me on the road to supporting 
people as well, because you can spot it in other people, even just by talking to them and then telling you exactly what's going on. You think, wow, you're being bullied. And sometimes yeah. they don't realise it, but you do, but you can guide them. So, yeah. I think that the important thing as well in terms of that experience is when you've experienced bullying, sometimes it can be the failure of somebody in power or leadership to address mm -hmm. bullying. And sometimes that can be worse than the actual bullying that's happened. So Absolutely. when you have the strength um, and the confidence to report something and nobody's taking it seriously, then it's being re-bullied, isn't it? And I think that yeah. that is, a, that is um, you know, we, in terms of the work that we do, we need to try and do everything to make sure that doesn't happen to, to other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, I've coached a few people and they've experienced bullying and um I can see the t turmoil, the pain, anxiety and stress yeah. mm. that it's caused them. Mm. And, you know, um, through, through coaching, we, we have to take our time to unpick the pain mm. um, that that bullying has caused. And I wonder, people who bully people, do they realise how much of an effect it is on people? Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to, to know, isn't it? You ne you'll never really know, will you? Because it's kind of so process driven sometimes mm. that actually mm. where's the work with the perpetrator afterwards so they might be mm. disciplined or moved on or there might be no further action but there's mm. a gap isn't there and and yeah. there's a gap in terms of closure for people that have experienced the bullying um Absolutely. so we need to think about that a lot more in terms of organizations i think Mm. Yeah. And that's where the injustice actually screams out from mm. every angle, yeah. because there's a lot of gatekeeping, as you say, the person, you know, more often than not, I suppose in my experience in the corporate and in, in the healthcare, the person is spirited away, nothing's said about it, but the, the actual victim is then made to feel like the perpetrator. Yeah. And, yeah. and more often than not, they continue to be broken until they leave. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, we've all seen it. You know, we have mm. friends that have been through it. You know, like you said earlier, we can we can spot it. We can see it. And, mm. you know, you, sometimes that brings you closer to colleagues when people are experiencing similar things or have experienced similar things. Now, I've got some really good, good, good friends that have come out of of being bullied, basically. And, it, mm. you know, you've got to try and take the the positive stuff from it haven't you as, as much as possible because that's how we learn and develop Definitely. I, I think there is um an ability an ability to grow yeah when things like this happen you know when something negative happens in your life you can grow from it it's not necessarily about learning from it it's about growing mm. knowing that you've gone through that and you've come out on the other side mm. is such a big thing for you that it helps you move forward yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I also feel that, um, you know, when in an organisation and you're in a position to actually make that change, make that difference, it is always, always, and, and Diane and I have spoken about this so many times, it's always essential to get individuals that have got the lived experience, who understand, who can empathise, who are compassionate, yeah. but also help the people through the process by getting them mm. to talk, unpicking it, but actually getting them to put themselves back together again without feeling, yeah. you know, disjointed. Mm. And it's 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 more organic that way so that they can actually see positivity and, and go towards their goals and aspirations that may have been impacted as a result of it. Yeah. 
And we need to be looking at, you know, people, you know, man, people managers, people that are mm. going to be interacting <laughs> yes. with other people. You know, we need to be really making sure that they've got those key inclusive leadership skills, which are previously mm. being, I guess, described as softer, mm. <laughs> um, yes. which are, for me, just as important as like technical ability. So your emotional intelligence, your empathy, yeah, your me. compassion, yeah. your humility, all that sort of stuff, um, which, you know, traditionally have been kind of thought of as a bit, you know, woolly and stuff. But for me, they're, they're just as, if not more important than the technical stuff, because mm. you've got to be able to, to treat people with respect and get the best out of other people. A manager Absolutely. isn't about being the best, it's about getting the best out of other people. And I think we really need to concentrate on that more. Mm. And, and going back to emotional intelligence, how many organisations recognise that for them to be progressive, you know, it, it's not only, oh, the workforce need to be emotionally intelligent, yeah. the leadership team and and those middle managers need it's the whole organization mm -hmm. once they actually get involved in that that's when they start seeing the difference that's when they start making the difference yeah and that's when they start progressing mm -hmm. you know more seamlessly so yeah you know for all those organizations yeah you know there's a pointer for you absolutely definitely so um, have you had any uh, memorable moments within your career history that you think that's really stood out for you when I was doing my um, social work degree, I did a, a placement at the Welsh Refugee Council. And um, the reason that I did my placement there was because when I'd done my placement with the Youth Offending Service where I worked, I'd actually come across a, a Vietnamese boy who had been trafficked into the UK and he was found in a, in a cannabis factory. And I was absolutely gobsmacked at the attitude towards him. So rather than him being um, treated as a victim of, of um, trafficking, you know, the, some of the advice was, well, you know, suggest a custodial sentence. I've just thought, I can't believe like that that would be your kind of mm. default position. Anyway, that's why I did my other placement in the Welsh Refugee Council and I worked with age-disputed age asylum seekers. Um, they, were, they were mostly boys. And one of the young people had a brother in Leicester, but he didn't know where he was or how to contact him. So we, we got them together. And then that meant then that the boy we were working with could put a fresh claim into the home office. And when he went and did that, they detained him immediately. So um, detained him immediately, took him to the police station, took him to a detention center. And actually the Welsh Refugee Council at the time didn't really campaign on behalf of individuals. So we changed that like immediately. And we had a campaign for him and we got, um, I uh, uh, can't remember what it was now, but there was basically, we went to go and see him in Oxford and we came back with him. We got a high, high court um, order and we got him out and we took him to foster carers and, you know, he eventually did his A-levels and all that sort of stuff. And that was the thing that stands out the most, but it was really around just the persevering. So it was around, what do you mean you don't do campaigns? Of course you have to do a campaign. You know, when we were going to leave the detention centre, the, 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 the guards there saying he's got to go back in his cell. And I was like, what do you mean he's got to go back in his cell? Like he's being released. You can wait for the facts, but he's sitting here with me. And they just let him sit there in the visiting, in the visiting area with me. But that was the first time I ever asked for help about my own mental health because I found it so stressful. Not what I was going through. It was about what I could see and how unfair and how um, how awful it was for people 
um, people here seeking asylum. And, you know, I guess that spurred me on then to, to kind of do some of the other stuff that I've been doing. But but that was what sticks out in my mind the most. Wow, well, I can, I can see from all that you've said how you've got to this point. Mm, yeah, definitely. Because even when you're talking, I can see the synergy between where you were to where you are now and all that strength and passion and uh, desire to help and support people comes across mm. and you're obviously utilizing those skills that you you have acquired mm -hmm. and you know you've put you've put yourself in a very good position because I do know a lot of um, DNI people who still just you know, bob along. Mm. You know what I mean? Want of a better word. Yeah, this is going to be new, yeah, this is going to be a new initiative today. Oh, let's do that then. Yeah. You know, it, there, there's no depth. Yeah. No, no. And when there is no depth, there is no change. Yeah. yeah. And clearly you've come from a point that demonstrates to me personally that you are capable of making that because you can make the tough decisions. You can challenge mm. to make things happen. You've got to have those types of skills to be able to make that difference. Yeah. So, you know, I applaud you for that. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Your, your passion just, it just rings through, <laughs> you know, the conversation. I, I could ask you so many more things, but I know we, we're time driven. Yeah. But, um, you know, you pile driven your purpose, mm. you know, your passion into the ground and you're unmovable, unshakable around <laughs> that. You know, and and it's it's so refreshing to sort of like hear that and actually explore it. But what what, what advice would you give someone who wants to get into the DNI space at whatever level? Yeah, so I'm actually giving a couple of people <laughs> this advice. Advice they're they're trying to move into that sort of space. Um, I guess um, expand your network. So one of the things I've said is you know on LinkedIn, look for the people that are already in this space, make those connections mm. and. I guess our relationship here today is a is a good example of that. Um, yes, you know, make the connections, attend the events, get involved with the networks. Um, you know, give, give advice to the leadership um, in terms of lived experience or, or whatever you can do. Um, yeah, build that network, get to know the people. I guess you need now because there's so much demand for for these jobs. You need to have that experience. That you can that you can bring to a role but you know at the same time organizations need to look at the potential that somebody could bring so they might not have the exact specific experience like i didn't when i went into my job at action for children but i had mm. the potential to be able to, to grow that so that's mm. where we need to be looking for people is that potential um, you know i've seen jobs where it's like you need five years experience in dni it's like well you're Basically, you don't want anyone in your 20s then. You're totally yeah. excluding a whole group of people. Like you say, I, for me, you know, okay, yeah, you've got to have performance measures and KPIs and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, do you fundamentally want to make the workplace a better place for people? You know, and how do you inspire managers and leaders to be, to be those people as well? Mm -hmm. But yeah, my advice is find your network, get involved with the networks in work, any sort of initiatives, do, do podcasts, you know, get mm. invited onto places and get to know people and hopefully it'll build for people then. Brilliant, thanks. Thank Wonderful. Sure, can I just say, it's absolute pleasure having a conversation with Absolutely. you today and I've learned things about you that I didn't know, which is wonderful because um, it makes me, 
even acknowledge, you know, in my my personal opinion, I always knew you as a, a good human being, decent person. And from what you said, that's just verified everything for me. So I'd like to say thank you again for joining us today on this one on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me both. It's been great. Thank you, Siobhan. You're, you're, you've been so insightful. You've given us nuggets of knowledge and I'm sure the listeners will find a lot of meaning in what you've shared with them to inform them on where they want to go and what they can do going forward. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the HR Lounge. We hope you find our podcast insightful. Join us next time for more thoughtful discussions. And remember, you have the power to make a difference.